Welcome to Meanderings with Trudy. I'm your host, Trudy Chapman. Today's my last episode for this season, and unlike seasons past, I'd like to do a wee recap of the meanderings from 2022-2023. You know, taking the time to kind of sit back and go, what did I learn? Why does this matter? Particularly over the last three years, and, and in specific this last year, where I've added in a couple of new components, it seems like a really good thing to kind of kind of sit back on my heels and and just take a gander at where we've been and what we've covered. So this was my third season in this podcast, and, and if you'll remember, those of you who followed along, I started this adventure in 2020, in the spring of 2020, June in fact, which is where we are now, with a simple wish to find joy in everyday life. Oh yeah, and to return to sound. I love creating with sound. So once upon a time, for those of you who don't know, I was a journalist. I was a radio journalist. This was one career in a myriad of careers, but but one that I really loved deeply and seemed to speak to my soul. I used to work with CBC Radio and National Radio News in Toronto. In fact, with the flagship newscasts of Canada at Five, The World at Six, and The World This Weekend, and that was that was a joy and a privilege in ways that I did not know it was going to feel fulfilling and and just right for me. I love the hurly-burly feeling in that newsroom as we approached the the top of the hour, the bottom of the hour, usually the top of the hour because these were national newscasts. That feeling of being carried along by events of significance to the world, to my country. That sense of telling people the news they needed to know. But with my divorce and the single parenting that was thrust upon me, I had to leave journalism. The hours sucked. It wasn't good for a a single parent, Uh, particularly the six o'clock news where it ended, you know, I wasn't home before 10 o'clock at night. And my uh, soon-to-be ex-husband at that point in time uh, wasn't willing to to play that role anymore. So um, that was 20 years ago now, and, and I left Toronto for Ottawa where I faced new challenges, but the thrill of working in sound haunted me for all this time until podcasting became a thing and the pandemic slowed me down, slowed us all down, but slowed me down enough to give me what I needed to create in sound. And that was time, time to think, time to vision, time to imagine what was possible. So as the world closed up in the winter of 2020 and my coaching work pivoted to online, I had more time to myself to listen to my heart and follow my whimsy. And in that environment, a podcast was born. And here I am now, three years later, doing this very thing. I felt so much sadness in the world during those early pandemic days. And and that sense has grown even now. That feeling of sadness kept lapping at the shores of my awareness and at my heart. And I really felt the need to find the good The brilliant mother of childhood educator and TV host, Mr. Rogers, told him that in times of strife, in times of need, find the helpers. And that really gave me pause. And then I thought, well, what does that actually look like right now? How can I, in June of 2020, how can I find the helpers? Where are they? So then I realized that in every one of our lives and every one of our hearts, there are kernels of joy. So what if I interviewed people 
to help them through storytelling and self-exploration, but to help them share their kernels of joy with the world. In helping them, maybe I could help myself see joy in the world again. Really to lighten up my own heart. And also return to playing with sound, which was something that I'd felt drawn back to again and again over the years. And now, you know, altruism, self-interest, here we stand at that intersection. So here I am now in my third season of producing a podcast, and I do all the things. I select the guests. I select the tone, the structure of what I want in this podcast, meandering, uh, real interview style so that it's real and in the moment, and you're getting a true sense of people's thoughts as they tumble out of their hearts and their minds and through their lips and onto your ears and your hearts and into your minds. I handle all of the technical side of things from taping and editing the sound, mixing anything if I choose other elements to move in, um, all the things. And then, of course, there's the technical side on the internet, which is finding a host and getting all that organized, getting the artwork set up, all of that sort of thing. So it's... um, from soup to nuts, I'm it. There, there is no team. I, I be the team. So that's been, that's been really a lot of fun for me to learn how all this fits together and to find that tone, that conversational tone that hits your ear that says this isn't something that's being read or packaged. It's something that is just happening. And I've had a lot of feedback from people through the time that it's like being a fly on the wall where two old friends are chatting. And that's, that's, the, that's the tone that I want it to hit. Um, and that's why I try and interview people that I know, people that are in my life in some way, shape, or form, directly connected or arm's reach, doesn't matter, but trying to find them. And from that place of uh, friendship and trust, we have a conversation that you get to hear. And we explore parts of them that maybe they didn't even know that they knew. Um, it is truly a meander. There's no prep work that happens. There's no script that's followed. There's no set of questions. The, the only constant is my curiosity and my listening to what they have to say and following up on things and asking the question that I think might be in your mind when you come to that part of the conversation. So it's been a real joy for me to do this, which is what this whole podcast was all about, finding my joy and helping you find yours. I now have listeners around the world, and that is both an incredible surprise and a great delight to me that, again, adds to my joy in doing this. Fabulous. So after two years of doing it, meandering with people, talking about their lives, I in my third year, I kind of felt like I was hitting my stride and I wanted to do something, well, a little bit more. What, what more can I offer to, to you, my listeners, so that, uh, so that there's something more to draw you in? And it occurred to me that um, frequency mattered. So I'm now dropping an episode every week so that you've got something to hang on to between times. I'm also recasting or, or repurposing, not repurposing, because I don't re-edit them or anything. I just, I'm just, during the times when I take ample breaks so that I can continue to find that creative juice, um, usually uh, around Christmas time, so December, January, come back in February, and then through the summer, July and August are off. Um, but during those times, I've, I've launched this, this thing that I call meanderings again, 
where we we replay old, you know, previous conversations so that you continue to get stuff uh, that you could tune into as you wish. Um, and maybe maybe shine a light again on on interviews past that um, that still have re- relevance to us all today. So stay present by coming out once a week, even during the times that I'm off, but filling in times for breaks because I'm trying to show how to live a life of joy and you know taking breaks is part of part of re- refreshing and renewing my joy. I also started to branch out in other topics. You'll remember that in second the second year of this podcast, I created something called The Pausecast with Angie Arndt, where we started to say, this was the innovation for season two, what are the, what's the menu? If, if joy were a cake, what are its ingredients? How do, we, how do we make this cake? And so with Angie, I began to give a little bit more of a structure to our meanders, and we, we sat down and brainstormed over the components that we think go into go into joy and and why Angie uh, Angie's a a ordained minister in the United Church of Christ from down south from the American side of the border uh, she's a transplanted American now living here in Canada now Canadian uh, living with uh, with her love Peter McGaw who you will have remembered has has meandered with me here in the past too. And the two of them have a business together called Big Stone House, where they work predominantly with the Enneagram, and they are creating a space where people can tend to their soul. And you know, this has been a theme for Angie and I, this whole notion of community, which is one of the the big parts missing in, in our world these days. Where are our community spaces anymore? Where religion has fallen off, um, community centers... Some of them have soul, some of them have space for community, and some of them are challenged by it. Um, Where do we have space for community in our lives? Just think about it. What communities are you a member of? You know, maybe it's maybe it's a work community. Um, Many of us used to have religious communities that we were a part of, but we're not part of those faiths anymore. I certainly am not. I, I don't participate in the, the faith that I was raised in. So I've lost that community of church. But even when I was part of the community of church, was I really, I'm not sure that I ever really felt part of any of that. Anyway, these are these are understandings that we have now that community, the, the communities that I'm a member of have fallen off. And what happened in those communities, sometimes storytelling, sometimes ritual, often expectations. These are also, Angie and I figure, components of hope, uh, components of joy, sorry. Hope is also there too. Uh, love, these kinds of things. Dogs, we talk to dogs because through our animals, through through the, the, the animals that are part of our lives and part of our world, we can also learn about ourselves. So Angie and I spent some time in the second season exploring the components of joy. And then we went back to that in the third season to kind of showcase one of Angie's core frameworks that she uses to help people see themselves. The, and, and this is the Enneagram. So we took this third season and revisited every one of those components of joy and looked at it through the Enneagram so that we could talk Enneagram. Um, I also added into this space um, discussions around grief, because there's so much grief out there. Living life results in us having some woundings and, and coming out of this pandemic, 
felt the same to me. So I felt we really needed to have a space to explore grief. Because you see, sorrow and joy, grief and joy are connected, and you can't have one without the other. As the brilliant storyteller researcher, Brene Brown from the uh, University of, oh, Houston, I think. Um, But more than that now, as Brene Brown has said, you cannot selectively numb. This is what her research over 25 years now has shown when she's looked at people in the context of our woundedness, vulnerability. We cannot selectively numb. If we numb ourselves out through avoidance, uh, through eating, through scrolling on our phones, through um, binge-watching something on, on television, Netflix, whatever, if we numb ourselves that way so that we don't have to look at the ways in which we are uncomfortable and unhappy, we also numb the other side. We numb joy. We numb happiness. We numb creativity. We numb all the good things that make life wonderful. And in the process, we shorten that bandwidth between the ups and downs of our emotional life. We cannot selectively numb. And I think we've been doing that for years, and now it's payback time for our societies. Community has dropped off. Ritual has dropped off. These sorts of things that tied us together, this sense of our shared humanity has dropped off. So when I ask myself as an intentional coach, what's my part in all of this to try and create a fix, to try and push our boat in the right direction, in some direction, rather than aimlessly floating around on the water, my podcast is part of that help. I want to help people. I want to support you to explore who you be. And in doing so, enrich your relationship with yourself and others. That's really what it's all about here. Thanks for sticking with me here on Meanderings with Trudy. There's a lot more to come as I go over where we've been over this last season. I hope you'll stick with me. So this year, as I meandered around joy with regular people that I know, I learned a few things. And this is where I kind of want to recap a little bit about some of the themes that I've seen coming out in this last year. I, I realize in looking back over the episodes that I've done, the episodes on meandering and joy, that I've, I've interviewed a lot of people who pivoted to their creativity, who, who pivoted, who realized that life, the way that they were living it, wasn't what they wanted to be doing anymore. And then asked the question, what what does more look like for me? So that's a big deal. And and so many times through my meanders with people, they've said that and then they've gone exploring to find something new. That doesn't necessarily mean, you know, like uh, Julie Laverne, who changed jobs, who quit one job and went in. And <laughs> Angelie Delary as well took a year to pause, a whole year, and just kind of look and evaluate and say, what are what are new opportunities here? Um, in Julie's case, to say yes, what are new opportunities that I can try out and explore? In Angelie's case, it was to sink into silence and to explore her heart 
and explore what the world brought to her. But in both cases, they paused and stopped. And then after a good chunk of time, did something different. And in both cases, they're living lives that feel more fulfilling now than has been the case for their previous 20 years. Cool. Really cool. A lot of creativity has come out. I I think of Bernie Funston, the guitar maker in in Victoria, outside of Victoria, BC. Uh, I think of Margaret Ann Smith out in New Brunswick. Both people who have had full and fulfilling careers. Bernie was a constitutional law guy. He's touched his hands on so many issues in that has created the constitutional world that we in Canada sit in now. Um, Margaret Ann teaching English at the university, being a president of a small university in New Brunswick, both of them now shifting into creativity. For Bernie, it's guitars and music making. For Margaret Ann, it's felting and teaching felting making landscapes, selling them at markets. That creativity that comes through. Uh, My friend Ariadne and her pivot into that soul work where she moved from law. Well, it didn't really move from law so much as added in layers for the creatives that she works with. She works in IP, uh, intellectual property. That soul... Connection to creativity is something that I'm really seeing in the work that, in the episodes that we've meandered through this year. That's huge. So what have we got so far? We've got taking a pause. We've got silence and listening to yourself. We've got creativity. We've got the realization that what I'm doing isn't right for me anymore. And the courage to explore what might be. That's pretty cool. I think that's pretty cool indeed. So following your whimsy was a big theme that came out of my meanders. And and no better to do that than through hiking. You'll remember that last summer while I was off on my break, I went on a on a uh, <laughs> epic hike through the through uh, Switzerland, uh, France and, and Italy, uh, doing the Tour de Mont Blanc. And while I was on that tour, I met a wonderful woman named Peggy Hilliard. Peggy's a fellow Canadian, but she's also done eight Caminos. And if you know the Camino de Santiago, you know that it's a long walk through Europe there. These are these are ancient paths that go through, well, most of Europe. And they, they span out. They, they seem to end in two spots, uh, one ending up in Spain and one ending up in Italy, uh, one in Rome and uh, the Santiago in, uh, in Spain. So very, very neat. Great experiences that she had on those eight Caminos um, that she did through Spain. At one point, she was even a um, a host in, in one of the alberges, um, giving back to the community. And that's sort of another thing, that generosity of spirit that comes about. I've seen that so many times with people looking out to how can I help others? What can I, what can I bring? How do I serve? Because I think human beings, we have, we are meaning-making machines, we need meaning in our lives. And that's, that's something that underlies that question that I was talking about before that people are asking. You know, am I doing the right thing for me? Hmm. Where is my meaning? 
So Peggy found it out on the hike, and we met each other on the Tour de Mont Blanc. And she's lovely, so she became one of my uh, meanderers uh, this season. So I also sort of tied these themes about learning about yourself through hiking together when I sat and chatted with my friend Michelle Schaefer. She's a fellow coach here in Ottawa. Um, and she did this incredible trek up Machu Picchu to Machu Picchu in Peru. It was hard, hard, hard. It was personally and emotionally grueling, physically demanding. And she speaks to what she learned and how she's applied that in her life moving forward uh, in, in our podcast together. And I think in our episode together, and I think that that's, that again, it was a real showcase for me about, you know, the way that people, the pathways for personal growth, literally. So through all of these conversations, all of these meanders, relationship was a theme that ran through them all. Our relationship with ourselves, our relationship to others, our relationship to the world that we live in. This connection to relationship is one of the threads that weaves us into then the work that we did with Angie and Dina this season two. So in the space with Angie this year, in what we call the pause cast with Angie Arndt, we revisited the topics, as I said, that we looked at in season two. So topics like hope, love, relationship, community, soul, expectations, ritual, storytelling, grief, and dogs. <laughs> These and all kinds of topics we felt were the ingredients of joy. Now, Angie's an expert on the Enneagram, and the Enneagram, as I mentioned, is having a time. So we thought that we might revisit these topics from season two using the lens of the Enneagram. So just to recap for you, in case you missed those episodes, the Enneagram is a personality framework that can help people see themselves with more clarity and self-understanding so that we can develop awareness around our own habits of behavior and we can see how these habits either support or trip us up. That's all. We're, we're doing this with a kind and non-judgmental attitude and with curiosity about what we're going to find so that we can just hold it and not, not shuttle it out or give ourselves a critic attack or shame around any of it, but just so that we can see ourselves as clearly as possible for who we be. And this work, when we do it as a practice, offers us the opportunity of growth, of doing something different if we find our habits of behavior no longer suit us. That's all that it is. The Enneagram helps us to see that something different may also be possible. Because sometimes, let's face it, that's not always apparent when we're stuck in our habit loop of how we be, how we have always been. I always get frustrated when I get cut off in traffic. People are just jerks. Well, what if that isn't actually always the case? What if I can actually come at that from a different place? What if I can notice when I get frustrated and angry, find my inner pause button, take a breath, and then do something different? How would that change my day, for example? How would that change my relationship with myself? How could that change my relationship with other people? My little kids in the back, if they're in the car with me. My husband when I get home. My co-workers when I arrive finally at the office. How would that change? So as I contemplated this end of the season chat with you guys, I've asked myself what my takeaways were from my chats with Angie on the pause cast. 
Um, and so in no particular order, well, there's a little order. Here's what landed for me. To start with, the Enneagram is both information and a practice. And Angie and I wrestle with this. Angie always starts from showing and storytelling. And I think that's fabulous. I believe, though, that when we're talking the Enneagram, people need to have a little bit more of an underpinning, a little bit more of an understanding of the framework first, the information first, so that they can latch onto those stories in more than just a, oh, that was a good story, but what does it mean? Why does it matter? So you hear this in our in our episodes together, particularly the early ones of, of season three. We wrestle around how that fits together for the two of us and where we can find our, our overlapping Venn diagrams or our commonality. So the Enneagram is both information and a practice. So information shows up in the details of the Enneagram, details in the model how there are nine personality types, how each type is identified by numbers. It also has names depending on who you study under, but the numbers allow us some objectivity. Numbers one through nine. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. We have all nine types in us, although one place feels like home base. Getting to understand this about myself is the beginning of a conversation within myself. Each type has both gifts and challenges specific to those types, but also blended by who the person is. How those types are affected by the types, the neighbors on either side of them. The Enneagram is laid out in a circle. So I sit in the energy of the two, but I'm affected by the one and the three. You get the idea. So what does a good day look like? What does a bad day look like for these types? What are their habit loops for this person now that they understand themselves in their home base space, how they blend into their other types? Then what are the habits? How do they show up? Where do they go when they're having a good day? What happens to them when they're struggling? What does that look like? It's the beginning of a conversation, you know, that kind of thing. Once again, we have all nine types in us, although one feels more like us than any of the others. But when we look at the Enneagram as a practice, it becomes less of a framework or a structure and more of an invitation to pause and to look at ourselves and to get curious about what's here. Pausing to see ourselves and how we are in our lives so that we can begin to catch on to our habit loops, our patterns of behavior, and then explore how they serve us. Really, the Enneagram as a practice offers us an opportunity to get curious about ourselves and who we be in all of our relationships, starting first and foremost with myself. It's an inside job to begin with, and then becomes an outside job that's also an inside job. <laughs> the possibilities of enriching our relationships lie at our feet when we begin to engage with the Enneagram as a practice rather than just as information. This is where Angie lives. And this is, I think, where true development can come when we use the Enneagram to support us. If we each show up shining with our gifts in full use, we can change the world. That is where Angie and I land in our last podcast of this season. We truly believe that if each and every one of us show up with even just a little more awareness about how we be, 
where our gifts lie, how we fall down, how we are challenged by our habit loops. If we just have a little bit more awareness around this, it will change our relationships. And if we change the tone of some of those relationships, we can have an aggregate effect that will make the world a better place. And with so much strife all around us, I really do think that this is a necessary and needed thing for us right now. I certainly feel it in my own life. And this is where this work has begun to really help me in my life feel just a little bit more at home. Understanding who I be has made all the difference in my relationship with myself. I have much more compassion. I have much more patience. I have much more self-understanding. And I also still fall down. That's why it's a practice. That's why it's something that I work at every single day. Some days are better than others. Fine. I call human. I often say to my clients, one of the worst things about being human is being human. And so I try and call human on myself rather than allow for a critic attack to beat me up and say how I've fallen down, how you're not being nice. Look at the thing that you just did. You're worthless. We all have those voices in our heads. How do we combat them? How do we change that voice from a critic into a champion? The Enneagram has helped me with that. I have just a lot more compassion for my drive to help people. And I understand how that can be a heavy burden for them. And for me too. As I come from that place of understanding, I can hold myself back a little bit more. Some of the time and be a real support instead of a pylon helper. So all in all, I have a framework through which I can see the world and a practice of awareness that by and large benefits my relationships. Pretty good, eh? So I urge you all to spend a little bit of time with the Enneagram over this summer to find a mentor or a group near you um, so that you too consider how this framework could help you. Um, I really do think it can benefit us all. Angie and Peter at the Big Stone House have begun to offer more prog programming online. And since this podcast has a worldwide reach, reach out to them, find out what they're doing. They've got some stuff coming in the fall that should be interesting. Their unique approach to the field of the Enneagram offers something different than the mainstream, here's the information about the Enneagram kind of thing. It's a real opportunity for growth. And I'll put some um, I'll put the links in the episode notes as always so that, uh, so that you can go to their website and have a look around and let them speak for themselves. So thanks for sticking with me here on Meanderings with Trudy. As I sort of recap what's been going on, the podcast, holy mackerel, we covered so much ground and in my meanders on joy, so much more. Now we're going to take a, an opportunity to recap our time with Dina. I hope you'll stick with us for this bit. So the second deep dive that I did this, this season, in my third season, was into grief. In, um, I guess it was the fall of 2023, maybe 2022, my first, I, I just invited Dina Belaroche on as, uh, as one of my meanders into joy. And um, she's, she's a fellow, another fellow coach, and she has studied thalantology, the study of grief and bereavement for an awfully long time, uh, since her own tragic life events of losing her sister, um, when she was mm, 
just young and about to have their her first son, um, shattered Dina's, shattered her heart, I would say. And she's been building it back ever since over these past 20, 22 years now. The study of thalatology and grief has really helped her in that way. And it's really helped her in her 30 years of work with high-performance athletes and high-performance leaders in corporate life. So she has become a regular contributor during the winter season of 2023. And we call those segments Grief Busting with Dina Belarush, where we look at the myths around grief. So as Dina has been studying grief over all this time, she been collecting both for her own experience and, and, you know, other, other teachers, uh, a whole list of myths around grief. And so when I looked at that list, I put them into sort of general buckets of what they fall into. And we created five episodes, um, to, uh, to sort of kick the lid off of these myths that we all hold around, around grief. You know, what is grievable, um, who can help, um, what to do within yourself, um, what is the arc of grief, why do we need to keep it to ourselves, all of these sorts of things. So um, my initial episode with Dina is a good primer uh, for where we start. And then in February, we started once a month, the beginning of each month, the first Tuesday of each month was an episode with Dina, where we dove into a small bucket of grief myths. So just like my work with Angie, I had some takeaways from my chats with Dina. And here's, here's, you know, once again, in no particular order, some of the things that I learned in my time with Dina. And I would say to begin with, we don't actually know a lot about grief. And yet grief is a part of every one of our lives. As they say, none of us get out of this life alive. We're all born, live, and die. And in the course of living those lives, you know, shit happens. And we get hurt and wounded. We experience loss. So we are in great need of grief literacy to help us understand the world and our own hearts. And this lack of grief literacy and the ongoing wounding that we carry from living our lives and our inability to heal those wounds shows up in our lack of care and compassion for each other, in our communities, in our civic spaces, in the way that we govern ourselves. It is hurting us every day, and most of us don't even realize it. Let me underline that again. Our illiteracy around grief, the way that we hold our wounds and double down on keeping them bottled up, hurts us every day. And we don't even know it. So let's just have a little backup for a second. What is a wounding? What is loss? Loss is a severed attachment. It's a feeling of being detached or separated from something that had value and meaning for us. A person, a place, a job, a thing, an animal. And we grieve such losses as part of being human. It's part of being alive. We can feel loss for all kinds of experiences, big and small. It doesn't just have to be a traumatic car accident, um, the loss of a parent, the death of a child. It can also be the loss of a job. 
It could be moving house. It could be any number of things. Anything that gives us that feeling of a severed attachment is a loss. And then how we carry it matters. We can either carry it as a wound that's constantly weeping, or we can learn to handle it differently, to honor it and to live with it. And in that way, we find a pathway for healing. Dina said something that really made sense to me. And she said, bereavement is grief made public. So grief is a private thing, typically. Real grief is a private thing, I think. It happens in our hearts, inside of us. It can also happen publicly. But what I'm talking about right now is that internal grief, and then when I move it out into the public sphere, it becomes a bereavement. This is where we we have things like um, September 11th ceremonies, Remembrance Day, November 11th ceremonies and Remembrance Day and that sort of thing. Um, funerals. The, these there as I think about it, I'm sort of str- I'm struggling for these examples of how we as communities come together in a ritualized way to to celebrate or commemorate things. It's not something we do very often. It's not something we do very easily. And the meaning in it sometimes can be hard to find. Speaking only from my place. Because in this age, we are so distant from tradition and religion. And in so many ways, we're rethinking it all as well. But there's still a role for ritual and tradition in remembering these people's relationships and things that we have lost. This is one of the ways that we as groups move through and embody our grief, honoring it, remembering it. As humans, we are meaning-making machines, and meaning-making about loss is no different. We have lots of, just think about it, at least in Canada here, we have a lot of meaning about the First and Second World War, about how those experiences forged us as a country. We are only now coming to terms with the deeper past that we in Canada have, the ways in which we have exploited people who came to these shores. When I think about building the railway, when I think about um, the head tax that we placed on Chinese people in the 1800s, 1900s, limiting to limit immigration from there. When I think about um, the internment of German and Japanese uh, citizens during the Second World War. And then when I reach further back and I think about how um, Canada as a country, Great Britain, when we were a colony, treated our Indigenous people and focused not on exterminating them so much as civilizing them. And what's that all about? We don't have any meaning-making around that yet. We are still coming to terms with an understanding what was done in our name. And I think there's a lot of shame and anger that is there on the part of citizens. People don't want to talk about it. People get angry about it. But we're just beginning to reckon with those parts of our history, those parts of our story, 
And we're going to have to come up with ways to ritualize and honor that once we have gone through the stages of denial and grief, education, understanding, compassion, appreciation, embodying. There's an arc to be followed here. And we in Canada, on it, on our past, we're just beginning to go there at the same time as we're bringing in more and more people from around the world as new immigrants to, to live here. So we, we're going to have some interesting things going on. So as I said, as humans, we are meaning-making machines. We honor the loss. We tell the stories about a deceased one or a past place that we lived in. Memorializing the loss in some way can be a healthy thing to do. It's not self-indulgent. Uh, I will say one of the things that we as Chapmans in my family do, having been military, uh, when we go around to places where we used to live, be it um, Kingston, Ontario, where I'm about to go to Newfoundland this summer, I'm going to try and go to 81 Bennett Drive, which is where we used to live when we were posted there with the Canadian military in the 1970s. When I go to Kingston, I always try and go up onto the base and visit the two houses that we lived in. That's my own way of honoring and memorializing my past. And I'm sure you have things that you do too in your life, small ways, personal ways that you do. There's a, there's a joke among the, uh, the people that have married into uh, my family that, that they have to go and go on these pilgrimages every so often with us. And it's, it's a true thing. It really is. So active healing, intentional healing takes time, attention, and effort and so very much kindness and compassion for ourselves and for other people. And right now we have few places where we can do this, where we feel free to do this. So Dina is a voice calling us all out from the wilderness and into a healing community where we can support each other as we move through our individual and collective losses. She has just published a book called Grief Unleashed, and we talked about that in the last episode that we have together in June. Um, it's called Grief Unleashed, Moving from a Hole in Our Heart to Wholehearted. She did this with a small publisher in Ontario here outside of Ottawa called Burnstown Publishing. And I'll put a link to, her, uh, to that publisher where she sells the book so that you can pull it out and have a look. Because you know what? I think we're going to come back to that in the fall, Dina and me. So I hope you'll order a copy of the book so that you can sort of follow along with us. I, I, my, my provisional interest is to kind of visit a chapter of that book um, for a couple of months, just move through the book, through the ideas in the book, and talk about it. So um, it's my hope to finish reading it, that book this summer so that I'll be ready to incorporate it into our meanderings together in the fall. So, so stay tuned for that. So I think that's the end of my wrap for where I've been. I hope um, as I prepare and then dive into this summer break, um, you're getting there too. My intention for this summer is to um, replenish and rest so that I can be creative again in the fall. But while I'm away, I promise not to keep you hanging. I, I will do meanderings again. So I'll do a lineup of past episodes from all of the previous three seasons so that you can, um, you can have a list. And I may group some of them together, uh, you know, maybe the hikers and the walkers or maybe the creatives. I'm not sure. We'll see. We'll see what comes to me. Um, but I'll also try and collect some soundscapes. I've had a lot of really positive feedback from some of you 
about these soundscape episodes. And if you listen to my chat with Michelle Schaefer, you'll hear, well, Michelle sadly broke her her, uh, femur, her thigh bone this winter skating with her kids. And that put her on the couch for eight weeks minimum. She's only now starting to get back to hiking in the in the forest uh, around Ottawa here, and that was a real source of of um, rejuvenation for her in her workday. And she sure missed that. And I knew she was having a hard time, so I just sent her a couple of the soundscapes that I had posted before of walks in the forest. I collected sound of walking on on uh, the crunch of the of the. Uh, of the dry leaves underfoot, the the uh, the the snap and crackle of snow underfoot, um, kayaking, the sounds of kayaking with my husband on the Ottawa River, um, those kinds of things. She said she loved that. My stepdaughter as well. Both both of them have commented on how much they appreciated the sound. So I'm gonna I'm gonna try and do some more of that this summer and and get some of those up. So they might be inter- interspersed with the meandering again. I'm not really sure, but I'll, I'll get some of those going for you, and and they'll be there like little treats uh, in the middle of your summer. So uh, so keep an eye out for that too. In addition, I'm gonna be doing a little bit of traveling. I'm heading out to Newfoundland to see my son Callum in a in a play at this at the Stephenville Festival. Um, I'm really looking forward to going back to Newfoundland. We're just going for five days. We're bringing my uh, my my husband and my my father will come along. Um, that'll be neat. A bit of a returning to to some of my roots there. So that'll be cool. And I've got a cottage or two lined up to go to. We we do that a lot here in in Canada in the summertime. Renting cottages is a big deal, and uh, just going to sit by a lake and listening, and being. <sighs> I think that's going to be great. So let me see. As I sit and think, I'm going to be doing some thinking more about what I want for the coming season. And um, I do hope you'll stay tuned when we come back in the fall. Please do drop me a note if there's something you'd like to hear or a topic you'd like to have explored. Uh, Maybe with Angie or Gina, I'm not really sure. Maybe more Enneagram, maybe more grief, or maybe just something else that's on your mind. Um... Please write me a note at meanderingswithtrudy at gmail.com. Um, let me know if there's anything in particular you'd like to hear. Um, you'll notice that I have not decided to monetize this podcast, so there are no sponsors. Well, <laughs> Chapman Coaching Incorporated, my company is a sponsor. And I would say Dina and Angie both sponsor through uh, regular provision of their time. Um, but I don't have any sponsors that... Uh, not that I haven't been asked. I've been asked, but I don't. I don't want to do that because that'll change my voice, I think. So I need your help to raise the profile of this podcast because I don't have advertisers that are going to do that. So please write me a review wherever you get your podcast. Drop me some stars in Apple because that is one of the top um, places where people listen to me. Um, share it. Share it with your friends. Let people know that I'm out here, not just another voice in the wilderness. And uh, if you think I'm of value, uh, it's not just a vanity exercise here. I do, I do think that these are conversations that matter and ideas that matter. And I'm not always right, which is why I want to hear from you. Tell me what you think um, or if there's somebody you'd like to hear from. So share, subscribe, review. This is how... 
We will let people know about the good work we're doing here on Meanderings with Trudy. At least I think it's good work. I hope you do too. In the meanwhile, have a great summer, and we'll meander again together in September. <laughs>